Well, good morning. I, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, a lot of times I need a little bit of help. Anybody need any help this morning? But it could stand a little bit of help with some area of your life or something you're working on, a project that you're around your house, a car that's causing you problems, uh, a family member that maybe needs some help that you don't know exactly how to help them with. Anybody need a little help today? I'll tell you, in my life, there seems like doesn't matter. There's not a lot of space in there when I don't need help. There's always something cropping up in my life and in my family life or whatever in my own life, my inner life, where I need to say, God, I need a little bit of help. So before we start this morning, I'm just going to ask you to just take a moment and pray and go, whatever that is today, kind of give that over to God really quickly and go, you know, God, this is sort of overwhelming to me. I need some help in this area of my life. So why don't you just do that? God, we need uh, your presence today to guide us and direct us. We thank you that uh, in your word you promise to give us incredible direction and hope and that you assist us in areas of need, that you know the needs that we have and the, the areas where we're weak and we need your help. So God, this morning we, we pray that you would be uh, well aware of those things. Let us kind of set those aside, God, and this morning just focus on who you are as the one who helps all of us when we look to you. We pray that, Jesus, in your name and in your power. Amen. Well, we're in our series in the Psalms, and I just, uh, I hadn't done this earlier, and I thought, you know, maybe this would be a good time to just reflect a little bit on what the Psalms are about. But the Psalms are uh, this incredible sort of hymn book or song book in the Old Testament for us, written mostly by David, but by some other authors as well, and they're divided into a variety of, of, of types of psalms, of types of writing. Some of them are what are called royal psalms. They're the psalms that kind of uh, are the praises of the king or praises for the king. Those are sort of the royal psalms. There are psalms that are, um, that are worship psalms that are just meant for us to engage in the worship of God. They direct us in that way. There are psalms that are laments, or there are psalms that speak of the soul in distress and a crying out to God. So they, they talk about that lament before God. There are psalms of praise that just offer up thanksgiving to God for who God is, to honor Him and worship Him. And then there's a, another that's kind of a, a mixed group of psalms that, that are sort of the stories that are happening through the children of Israel, as well as songs that were sung in the journey or in the sojourn either to a worship experience or from a worship experience. And Psalm 121, the psalm that we're looking at today, it is really one of those sort of mixed psalms. It's a psalm that is really about the journey. It is about um, traveling. It is about looking either forward or away from being a part of the, the worshiping community or getting into the presence of God. That's what Psalm 121 is. So I want to read that to you again this morning. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will never slumber. 
Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is a wonderful, wonderful psalm. Speaking of who God is, and that God is a God of help for us. A God of hope. A God to look, through, a God to, look to. Well, I want to tell you a story this morning. You know, about um, 15 years ago, um, I lost my sister to cancer, and uh, in the process of that, uh, you know, th- there was uh, just our family gathered together after uh, she had passed away, and it was about Christmas time, and so we went and we spent Christmas together in California. At that time, my family lived in Colorado. And so at Christmas time every year when we were in Colorado, we would pack our kids up after the Christmas Eve service at the church I was working at, and then early, early Christmas morning, we would head to the airport, get the earliest flight we could, and fly to California so that we could celebrate Christmas with our families. And we did that again this year, although it was a little bit different, but we got there and we celebrated Christmas. But in that, in that process of doing that, um, I kind of inherited my sister's car. And uh, she'd only had it for a few years, and we talked about it as a family, and nobody else really needed a car. We really needed a second car. So I inherited my sister's smaller BMW, and uh, it was a great car, and I still have that car. In fact, it's the car that I drive around here. It's 19 years old, 230-something miles on it. It's uh, 30,000 miles on it. It's like going strong. It's a great little car. But in the course of being home at Christmas and making that decision, I hadn't thought about that. We had all flown out. And then it was decided, well, you can take the car. I thought, well, why not drive it home now? So I thought, that'll be good. So we'll pack up a bunch of the luggage so that those who are flying home, they can fly home and they won't have to take as much luggage. And we'll take presents and gifts and we'll put all of that in the car so that's all taken care of and out of the way. And then I thought, well, I'm going to take one of my kids with me. So I I chose to take Kaylee, our middle daughter, I chose to take Kaylee, and Kaylee was 13 at the time. So Kaylee and I packed up all the stuff, and we hadn't really done a lot of pre-planning about this, but we packed everything into this car, so that the trunk was completely full, and the back seat of the car was pretty much completely full. It was pretty full in there, and then Kaylee and I. And we decided to do this kind of on the spur of the moment, but we got everything together. And by the time we finally got out the door, it was in the afternoon, and we were in the Bay Area. And so we had to travel up to get to Highway 80, and so we had to get up towards Sacramento and then on to Highway 80. And we, we got going, and it was late in the afternoon. And it takes a couple of days to get from California to Colorado when you drive. So we got on the road, and it was a little bit in the afternoon, and we were just probably a little bit ahead of rush hour, but not much. And when we, got to, uh, when we got up towards Sacramento, it started to rain pretty good. And uh, we kept moving and got on Highway 80 and headed up to get across the Sierra Nevadas. Now, the Sierra Nevadas are not the hugest mountains in the world, but they can be a little bit challenging at points. And I hadn't thought all that much about that. It was late December, but I thought we're going to be okay. And we got going. And as we got going up the mountains, it started to snow. 
And uh, we didn't have any tire chains, and I thought, well, we'll be okay. It's just a light snow. I was used to snow in Colorado. It'll be okay. But we got going further and further. It began to snow harder and harder, and warning signs began to be posted on the side of the highway. And then it was like chains are going to be required, and we didn't have any chains. And there was a, a place, I think it's called Gold Run. It's really more than just, it's like one little store. I pulled off there because they had chains, and I got into this sort of you know, sort of a super 7-Eleven, sort of, but not very super. But anyway, and so I got in there, and of course they had chains, so I bought, looked through the manual, had all that figured out, and got, bought the chains, and I'd put chains on our cars in Colorado, that happens. And I got these chains, and I put them in the car, and we kept on driving up the hill and up the hill, and it got more and more menacing until finally we got to the level area where you needed to put on chains. They were stopping everybody, and there were cars everywhere pulled off to the side, and the snow was coming down pretty good. And a guy came over to our car and tapped on our window, and he said, I'll put your chains on your car for you for 20 bucks. I go, this is a good plan. So I handed him my chains, and I thought, this will be great. And I handed him the chains, and he, he started set to work, and I thought, this is great. We'll just sit in there. The chains will get on. I don't even have to get out of the car. So he put the, came back a few moments later. He'd been working on our car, and he said, the chains don't fit. But he said, I do have other chains. Do you want me to get those chains for you? I said, well, sure, because now we're in trouble. We were like, can't be stranded on top of the mountain in the snow. We're not going to go anywhere. So he proceeded to come back, and I think we probably like traded him our chains, and then we had to pay a little bit extra or whatever it was, but he got chains on the car. Now, the car that we have is a small BMW, one of the smallest ones they ever made, and it only sits really about that high off the ground. It doesn't, it's not like way up in the air, it's not a Jeep, it's, it's just like, it's only about that high off the ground. So I uh, thought, this is great, we got in line, pulled out, everything was working fine, and it was like all the way up and over the pass, and getting all the way up and over the pass and through, we're not going very fast because it's snowing pretty hard, and there's, there's uh, several... Uh, Snow plows in front of us, clearing the road in front of us as best as possible, but it is snowing like crazy. And we get to the other side, finally we get to the downside, and we're, we're going down very carefully, very cautiously. And as we get down, finally, we're finally almost out of the mountain. We're still up in there, but it stopped snowing, and it's just raining. But it's raining cold. And I saw up ahead, because now it's like, well, you need to get your chains off your car, because that's not a good thing either, to be driving around with chains on. And so we pulled off where there were a bunch of other cars at a curve. And they were pulled off, and they were getting their chains off. So we pulled off, and I got kind of behind these other cars off to the side, and it was a big curve in the highway, and it was a little bit on gravel, but I pulled off, and there seemed to be room. And I got out of the car... And when I got out of the car, it was like all the other cars that were there just vanished away. They were just gone. We were like there completely dark. I could hardly see anything. And I'm trying to get underneath the car to undo the kind of quick release chains in the car. I've done this many times in Colorado, but not on this car. And I, they had kind of wrapped around up underneath, and I couldn't get underneath there. And I was underneath struggling and struggling. I was doing this for quite a few minutes and now the jacket that I had on, as I'm like laying in the gravel and trying to reach underneath there, is like completely soaked. And I, it is cold, cold. And my hands are starting to get numb. And I can't release the chain. So I finally could get part of, the, part of the chains released, but I couldn't get all of it released on either of the back wheels. I released part of them. I thought, well, okay, if I, if I just move the car forward enough or backward enough, I'll be able to get it to a place where I can actually reach underneath there because I can't get under. I'm not... I'm too, 
I'm too big. I'm too big to get underneath the car. And so I'm underneath, I'm trying to get it, and now I climb back in the car, and Kaylee's looking at me, and, and, uh, and I am, I'm, so, I'm sopped, and I'm freezing, and my hands are numb. And I moved the car a little bit, which was a major mistake, because once I had moved the car, I thought just only a couple of feet to get it in the right position. Well, the chains had, had been enough unhooked that now they'd kind of wrapped around the axles. And now we're in trouble because it is completely dark and cars are flying by us and nobody's stopping where we are. And I'm cold and I'm shaking and I can't get underneath. The only thing I can think to do is I've got to get out and I've got to get the car jack, which is below the bottom of the trunk. I've got to get everything out of the car and I've got to get to the car jack so I can get the tire off to be able to get the chain to pull it off the axle on both sides. That's the only thing I could think to do. And in the process of trying to figure that out, I just I went and I tried to figure it out. I said, Kaylee, we got to pray. Because she knew that I was totally sopped and freezing. And uh, so we prayed. We prayed, God, we need help. And I got out of the car and I, I opened up the trunk and I started to take out some things out of the trunk and to try to figure out to jam it into the car and the back seat. And I hadn't been at that but a couple of minutes when a pickup truck came and pulled right in front of me and a guy jumped out and he said, do you need help? And I said, yeah, we need, we need help. And I was exhausted and he said, well, what's up? So I explained to him what was going on. He said, okay, I got it. I said, okay, what can I do? And he said, no, I got it. Get in the car. He said his name was Mike. He was about 35 years old. He had like blue sweatpants on and like a, almost like a, just a t-shirt was all. And he was in an old pickup truck. And I climbed back in the car and I was shaking. And uh, the car got lifted up. We un got everything in, passed it in, got it. Got the jack out, lifted it up, took the wheel off, undid that one set of chains off the wheel, put it back on, dropped the car back down, went to the other side, did the other thing. It took him, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes. I don't know how long it took him. I was shaking in the car. And as he closed the trunk, after putting the jack back away, he closed the trunk, and I got to open the door to get out to say thank you. He was gone. There was no mic, there was no truck, there was, he was gone. I'm not making this up. He was gone. And Kaylee and I just kind of looked at each other for a few minutes, not knowing exactly what to do. And then we started traveling on. There's a lot more that happened on that trip, but we got down the mountain finally and called and told Gene, hey, we're going to stay right here in Reno tonight. Because there's, there's nothing else we can do for now. We're just exhausted. And Gene was out kind of hesitating. He said, you said his name was Mike, right? He said, oh, that's an angel. Now, whether it's Michael the angel, I don't know. But there are times when we need help. There are times when things are way overwhelming for us. And we need help. Psalm 121 starts just like this. It's great, isn't it? I lift my eyes to the mountains. 
Where does my help come from? Do you remember the Sierra Nevadas when we got across that other side and we started coming down? That's exactly where the Donner Party sat. This is that range of mountains right there where tragic things happen. Challenging things. A storm can sweep in and just take over an area. And they didn't have a four-lane highway. They didn't have chains. They didn't have a roadway. They didn't have a hope. Sometimes our lives, those storms can come sweeping through so quickly. And the psalmist says, I look to the hills, I look to the mountains, where's my help? It's interesting that, that some interpreters interpret this little phrase right there, I look to the mountains as a positive thing. In other words, that God is in the mountains. That somehow God dwells on the mountains, like in the Old Testament when He met, uh, you know, at Mount Carmel or Mount Horeb, or that that's where God dwells. I look to the mountains for my help, but I don't think that's what's going on here at all. No, I think that the, the psalmist right here is talking about a treacherous path that he's on the journey to undertake. And he knows his only way through that mountain is through this particular pass or through this particular section, and in this section of mountains, there is where the thieves and the robbers dwell. There is where the footing is unstable, and the pathway is unsure. There is the place where danger lies. It is not the path to God, it is the path that I have to walk, and I need help. I think that's more the interpretation of what's happening here. Where does my help come from? We all face problems in life, challenges. We all face those difficulties in life where we ask where God is help. Hmm. I want to talk about four looks this morning really briefly. So if you're following along in your notes, you might just jot these down as I kind of go through them. Four looks, through the, which is a process that we often go through. We look to certain things in the process of seeking help. So one of the first looks that we look to is the outward look. The outward look. The outward look is we look out beyond ourselves. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I think, as I said, the psalmist faced great danger right here. In that range of hills, there was danger that surrounded him. He knew that, that the path that he was on was a very dangerous one. We look outside of ourselves. To shift that metaphor, looking to the hills can be understood as our, our looking outside of ourselves to other people or other resources beyond ourselves for help. We look to others, groups of people, or individuals that will somehow be our help. Which might cause the psalmist to question, where is my help? I look around, I don't see anybody here to help me right now. I'm in a tragic situation I'm about to encounter a difficult journey. I'm in the process of wondering, can I make it through here? Where is my help? Isn't there anyone that can help me? Ever felt like that in your life? When you wondered, where's my help? I'm a good person. I've been working hard. I'm not caught up into all kinds of other stuff. I'm pretty good. Where is my help? Don't I deserve a break along my path? 
I need some help. That's, I think, what the psalmist was feeling. That is the outward look that looks to other people and groups of people for that assistance, for that help. That's the first one. It can cause us after that to have an inward look, which is the second one, an inward look. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. We live it in time when the inward look is stressed. To be self-sufficient, self-esteem is touted as the cure-all. We are to believe in ourselves as the ultimate source. To become self-reliant. To believe in ourselves. But I believe that in in that kind of self-esteem, if it is rooted in Christ's accepting love for who we are and for a dependence upon His presence in our life, not because I'm such a great person, but because it is God moving in your life and in mine. That my self-sufficiency, I'm not self-sufficient. That I do not sustain myself to live this life. That I can't call on my own resources alone. I need something greater than myself. Not just an inward look to myself. The truth is that many of us look inward to ourselves for answers to our problems and we're disappointed because we don't have the answers. Or we can't find the solutions or they just don't become clear. Instead, we become worried and filled with anxiety which is a bad way to live. And we muddle through. The psalmist's inward look resulted in a key question. Just where can I go to find help? And the dialogue I believe that he has within his own soul produced this answer. One that he had known all along, but that came only after he had tried other resources, other people, other outward looks, and even inward looks to his own self-sufficiency. My help, he says, comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. The one who made and sustains us is ready to help us. He is the Creator. He's the one with the power. Knowing that our help comes from Him and calling out His name and His name for help is a sign and an expression of maturity, not immaturity. To call out to God is a a step of maturity, not immaturity. It doesn't mean that we're less of a person. It means we're more of the person. We're the completed person when we trust God and not on on ourselves alone. It is a step of maturity to trust in God. It's how God designed us. Immaturity is thinking that we can make it through life on our own. Most of us have tried that. Somewhat unsuccessfully. Here's the third look. The upward look. God's reliability. And here are three reasons why the Lord is reliable and a help in our difficulties. First, He always watches over us. If you read through Psalm uh, 121, probably five times in the eight verses, He uses this word watch. To watch. God watches over you. God is watching you. God is watching your path. He is always watches over us. He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 4 says. 
tells us that He's at work day and night. The Lord Yahweh is not like the other nature deities, such as Baal, who had to be wakened up from their seasonal slumber. God doesn't sleep on us. He's not taking a break right now. He's well aware. Second part is this. He's at our side to strengthen us. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. Verses 5 and 6. He is at our side to strengthen us. God's protective care. The word keep. The word keep means protection. It's the word for protection. God is the protection. We all know about the power of the sun. We live in Arizona. It doesn't rain here. But we know about the power of the sun. We know what it is to be careful with the sun. We know to take protective care of our skin when we're out in the sun. We know that the, skin, that the sun can harm us in the heat of the day. We feel it during the day. We know that the sun's powerful. Where I grew up, we would go and travel, and when we would go to the beach, my mom, this was like long days ago, I know I don't look that old, but long days ago, my mom would do like, they would put some protective lotion on you. Right? But it wasn't sunscreen, they would put like baby oil on you, which we really didn't get tan, we got fried. We were like a fried food family. But we know what it's like, don't we? We know what it's like to, to need protection from the sun. We need protection from the sun. Hmm. God, it says that God protects. It's the same imagery that God is the shepherd of sheep. God is protecting the sheep. God watches over the sheep. In the kingdom, the one who stood at the right hand was the one who protected the king. The one who held onto the armor for the king. The one that had the shield and the sword is the right hand to the king. The one that stands in the place to protect. It is what Christ does for us. He is the protection of our day. He is the protector of our life. He will not allow the sun to scorch us by day nor the moon by night. The moon by night, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because there was a belief that the moon affected a person's mental stability. That the moon could have devastating effects to the way in which a person's thought processes worked. It's our word where we get our word lunacy from. Luna, Latin, meaning moon, comes from that. So the sun would not harm us by day nor the moon by night. God will protect us. It's important for us to see that. God will protect us. The Lord, I love this. I read this this week from a pastor. He said this, The Lord may not keep us from trouble, but we can be sure He will be with us in it and use it for our growth and greatness. Here's the third part of that. He brings maximum growth out of all we will ever go through. God grows us through the processes that we go through. The challenging ones, the great ones, God is growing us through those. To persevere. It also means to preserve. 
preserve means to maintain. God will preserve you. He will maintain. He will conserve. He will guide. He will keep you from destruction. Jesus promised that He would abide in us. John 15.4 Abide in Me. I am the vine. Abide in My vine. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. I I, I love this. I pray that out of His glorious riches, speaking of Jesus, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The picture there is that Christ would be able to come and live in your heart and life. He'd be able to dwell, which is, means he would be able to sit down in your house, in your heart, in your home, in the home of your heart. Christ would be able to come in and sit down and make himself comfortable in your heart, in your life. Got that image? That Jesus would be welcomed into your heart and life, and you'd be ready to receive him. But what Paul says there is really interesting because he says before Jesus can come and sit into your your heart and life, He's got to do some work. He's got to come into your house and He's got to clean up a little bit before Jesus can come in. He's, He's got to be able to come in in His power and in His way and the Spirit of God has got to be able to come in first and clean house. Paul says Jesus is going to come, but in order for Him to get comfortable in your place, He's got to get rid of a few things first. The Spirit of God is going to come into your life when you invite Him in, and He's going to begin to move some stuff around. He's going to be able to take out some of those pillows on the couch that don't fit there. He's going to be able to move some furniture around and put the right things into your home. He's going to be able to take some of those thoughts and thinking that you have and the Spirit of God is going to be able to remove that clutter. Are you with me? Before Jesus can come and sit down and be at home in your life, the Holy Spirit's got to come on in first and do some cleaning. And when the Spirit of God comes in to clean you so that Jesus is going to be comfortable in your home, He's going to do a thorough job. And you wouldn't want any less, and neither would I. We want the Spirit of God to come and search our hearts and find if there's anything in us that's in the way because we know if anything's in the the way, it's going to make it much more difficult for God to bring help to our life. For us to try to sustain our life in our own power and self-sufficiency, sorry, it ain't going to work very good. He's going to need to come in and clean house in your life and in mine. Because the whole plan of God the whole time is that Jesus would come, as Paul said, and He would make Himself at home. At home in your life. And friends, if you've got something in your life that you know Jesus is not at home with, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to come on in and get rid of that stuff. And we all get that stuff. Sometimes it shows up and we don't even know how it got there. Somehow some bad habits just take over without our even thinking about it and it's in the way and there's, there's some forms of darkness that don't belong. But the desire of God is for Jesus to come and sit down in your heart 
and be at home. And when He does that, we're at home. You know when people come over to your house at first and you've invited some guests over and they come on in and they knock on the door and they come on into your house and you're so excited you're there and you've been cleaning your house and they get there and you welcome them on in and they're kind of standing around and you kind of want them to sit down. You just kind of want them to relax. Just be, you finally you might just say, hey, just relax. Just be at home. Just, just whatever, just come on in and sit down. Because you want them to be at home. And that's the way it is with God. God wants us to be at home in our own home. But He wants Jesus to be at home in our life as well. Just relax. Allow God to come in and be the God He's intended to be by allowing His Spirit to come and be at home in your life. Here's the fourth and final one, the forward look. The forward look. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. Verse 8, both now and forevermore. The forward look. The Lord will watch over us both in coming and going. That means in whatever direction you're going, He's watching out for you. Now and forevermore means that just what it's saying. Right now in this moment, but God has an eye to the future for you. He has a future for you. The active watchfulness of our God is on the now and on the future. God is watching out for you right now and He's watching out for your future. Are you walking with God into His future that He's designed for you? It can cause us to wonder sometimes about God because we don't know about our future. If you're like me, there are times when I wonder what's up? What's out ahead? What does the future lie ahead for me? You ever ask those questions? God, I just don't get it. I've got these things happening in my life. Where are you taking me? What is the future? And I wonder, God, are you involved? Are you know what I'm going through right now? Why is it taking so long? Where are you, God? Where is my help? God, I'm looking to you, but you don't seem to be active right now in my life. Those are the things that I say. It can cause us to, be, to wonder about God's plans for us, can it? For our lives, for our world. God, what are you up to? Are you active? What's out ahead? Can I trust you? When you're up against it, when you feel like you're out of options sometimes, where do you go? When you look around and wonder, God, what are you up to? What are you up to, God? I want you to just catch on to this insight from a short video from Pastor Albert Tate in Monrovia, California. And I want to end with that, so just, just listen to this. We have a message to the world, and that message has to be loud and clear. And this is the message. This is the message. It, uh, it, it's a story of, it's a story of uh, two, two, two friends that walk into a museum, and they walk into the museum, and, 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 it's a, and they got paintings on the wall, and one's a, a teacher, and the other is a professional chess player. He's a professional chess player, and he's looking at this painting, and the professional chess player is captivated by this painting, and, and it's a picture of a chess game. Uh, and, 
it's a picture of a chess game, it's a chess board, um, and the caption up under the picture says checkmate, which is chess terminology for the game is over. And the man, the chess player, he's looking at this board, he's looking at the game, he's looking at the positions, and he's looking at the game, and he's analyzing, studying, analyzing, studying. Well, the teacher is growing weary, he's ready to move on. He says, come on, man, let's move on. He says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. He's analyzing and studying, analyzing and studying. The teacher's growing weary, he says, man, come on, we gotta go, they're about to close. He says, no, 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 I gotta look at this. Analyzing, studying, analyzing, studying. Finally, the museum is about to close. The teacher says, man, we got to get out of here. Let's go. He says, come, look at this painting. He says, he says what? what, what? He says, man, this is, this is not right. This, this painting is wrong. He says, what, what do you mean the painting is wrong? You're an artist now? What do you mean? The painting's not wrong. He says, look at it, look at it, look at it. Set at the board. Look at the pieces. Look, look. The painting, the caption on the bottom says checkmate, which means the game should be over. But the game is not over. If you see, the, the king still has one more move. And as long as the king still has one more move, that means the game is not over and this picture is wrong. Uh, friends, we work for the bride of Christ. We serve the bride of Christ, and we have the privilege of bringing a message to a world that is seeing hopelessness, that is seeing depravity, that is seeing discouragement. We get a chance to show up and say, the picture that the world has shown you is wrong. The game is not over. The king is still on the throne. The king is still on the throne, and he is not finished. The king still has one more move. And as long as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is on the throne, he is still on the move. The game is not over. The church shall arise, lift up her voice, and speak to the world and say, the King is still on the throne, and the King still has one more move. This is where we work. This is where we serve. This is where we show up to bring the message of the bride of Christ. Is that great? Hey, why don't you stand with me right now? Just a word to all of you, to myself as well. The king is on the throne. He's got more than just one more move. He's moving in your life and in mine when we let him. He is still all-powerful when we say, where does my help come from with the psalmist? We say, my help, my help, my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. And He's still on the throne and He still has one more move. And one of those is to move in your life and mine this week. Hey, you guys have a great week this week. Go with God and be blessed by Him because He loves you.